Hello, I'm Terry Schultz, and I am channeling Brussels, getting newsmakers, movers, and shakers to lose the lingo, burst out of the Brussels bubble, and have real conversations about the critical foreign and security policies shaping our world. It's the rest of the story, beyond the few seconds of sound bites that make it into the news. This week's Channeling Brussels is brought to you by the Atlantic Council. And joining me this week is NATO Assistant Secretary General for Emerging Security Challenges, Soren Dukaru. Just from his title, you can tell Ambassador Dukaru has his hands more than full. With the threat landscape against the alliance changing constantly in unpredictable ways, many of them breaking new terrain in warfare, Dukaru and his staff have to be prescient and agile. The ambassador and I have known each other more than a decade since he was the Romanian ambassador to Washington and I was covering the State Department. I've been trying to pin him down for a wide-ranging interview for a long time, so I'm very happy to have him on this week's show. And I'll warn you, it's a long podcast because I had to get all my questions out of my system. So at the meeting of NATO defense ministers last month, they approved what they call an updated cyber defense plan. And they also moved forward with discussing how to practically establish cyber as the latest operational domain, which means, of course, that cyber attacks could hypothetically warrant a declaration of Article 5. But I also wanted to draw him in on an incident that had just happened, the attempt by some unidentified party to accuse German soldiers serving under NATO in Lithuania of raping a teenager. This type of thing makes me really angry because allegations of rape are nothing to dismiss out of hand or to fabricate. But this was completely made up to try to discredit the NATO battle group. And so this type of thing also falls under an emerging security challenge for NATO and for Assistant Secretary General Soren Dukaru. Okay, thank you very much, Ambassador Dukaru, an old friend of mine, for coming to the studio to talk about emerging security challenges. The pleasure is all mine, Terry. Good to be with you. So, I mean, honestly, when when with a title like this, I look at it and go, well, basically everything's your problem. <laughs> is everything your problem? Well, there there is a complexity of uh, issues uh, and uh, context that defines the security uh, landscape. Uh, if I want to set it in one sentence, I, I would say we are living in a world of uh, emerging and re-emerging security challenges. Some True. are very new, others are coming from somehow from the past and they kind of tend to 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 blend uh, together in a hybrid uh, mix. Um, what um, we are focusing in, in the uh, Emerging Security Challenges Division are all the um, non-conventional and uh, emerging uh, threats, uh, starting from, um, you know, uh, counterterrorism, uh, uh, cyber defense, uh, um, WND uh, non-proliferation, uh, energy security. We are also hosting the strategic analysis uh, capability of NATO. Uh, we're looking to uh, what's uh, coming towards us uh, at the horizon. So we're in the horizon scanning uh, business. And here uh, I should mention, uh, you know, the, the, the new technologies, uh, the new forms of uh, manifestations of uh, terrorism, uh, information manipulation, uh, uh, potential um, uh, challenges to uh, space assets, uh, also uh, impact of uh, climate change upon security. But these last items are just the horizon scanning uh, items. The, the main ones that we're addressing are um, counterterrorism, cyber defense, energy security, W non-proliferation. 
So, I mean, that list of things makes my pulse beat faster. Geeks like me are like, that's the coolest stuff that you could be working on. If you had to pick out one thing that you spend most of your time on, what would it be right now? I mean, we as the press focus on Russia. We focus on what's now called the hybrid threat. We focus on the cyber attacks. But for you, when you're actually in the trenches on this, what is the biggest emerging security challenge that you're looking at, you and your staff these days? Oh, you're you're challenging me to to take <laughs> just one item out. It's hard. I I would say is it's a mixture between um, the fast evolving cyber threat landscape. So uh, that one is is, is evolving very uh, fast. Uh, uh, in, in new forms, uh, um, it evolving uh, in terms of complexity, intensity, but it's also um, the uh, aspects uh, of uh, and different forms of uh, uh, terrorism um, in uh, uh, operational theaters uh, on our own uh, territory. Also, the uh, the aspects uh, uh, related to the fight uh, uh, against uh, big organizations like uh, ISIS or um, uh, Al Qaeda. Now, it's important to to know that uh, um, you know fighting terrorism uh, at home is a national responsibility in all NATO uh, allies, and uh, uh, NATO is focused uh, on. Uh, getting more awareness, uh, uh, developing um, certain uh, training um, capabilities that would be useful for allies, including in operations, and uh, even more so training um, our partners uh, so that uh, they can fight terrorism uh, at home, and uh, in this way we can avoid the spillover of this aspect. And the other, the last point, aspects of uh, information uh, manipulation and um, I would say sometimes even weaponization. So this is what I what I see is coming uh, in our face uh, pretty straightforward. And we'll definitely talk about that, um, about where the line is between what is a sovereign responsibility of a government and where they can turn to NATO, because that's also changing all the time. In the last couple of weeks, um, Secretary General Stoltenberg has said that cyber attacks on the alliance have risen 60 percent in the last year. So that's something that, that comes under your division, right? I mean, that's uh, Absolutely, 500, yes. 500 a month. So I... I um, did the math, and there you have basically 17 attacks a day. And, and he, he's not talking about the little ones. When, when you give us those numbers, you're talking about big ones, right? I mean, how serious are they? Are they originating from any one source? Who, who is attacking NATO, and are they getting in? Let me mention that um, day-to-day handling of uh, the defenses of our networks uh, is done by the NATO Communication Information a- Agency, and we have a uh, so-called uh, NATO Computer Incident Response Center, the equivalent of a national CERT, mm-hmm. which is uh, in Mons. And uh, actually, this uh, it was uh, it's them who address uh, uh, on a daily basis actually um, many more. Um, um, uh, events, uh, most of them are handled uh, automatically, and uh, these uh, 500 per month, the new uh, average of this year, uh, reflect uh, what we call the incidents, so uh, suspicious uh, events, if you if you want, and uh, they reflect uh, an increase from. Uh, uh, last year. Um, last year being 2015, not 2016, right? Because this was the 2016 exactly. number. Exactly. Yeah. So from, increase from the previous year. Yeah. Um, and um, probably part of it is due to the fact that we have also um, increased the uh, 
uh, also the centralized protection of our networks with the new uh, NFIUs, the NATO force integration units in the eastern countries, the small headquarters, but most of it uh, is uh, due to the increased uh, number. And uh, I would emphasize the increased sophistication of, uh, of attacks. So we feel uh, that, uh, and we can see because we do a lot of analysis, uh, in the um, CTAC, the Cyber Threat Assessment Cell, which is in, uh, embedded in the, here in Brussels, uh, where we, we have our analysts, uh, and uh, uh, they see that uh, the majority of this uh, uh, more sophisticated, uh, the handful of attacks uh, that are handled by uh, experts, these are um, targeted, persistent or recurrent um, uh, threats. And of course, they're, they're analyzed uh, uh, they're compared with the patterns of attack that we see happening against uh, allies and some of them like the DNC hack or others uh, against the German Bundestag a year ago or others have been pretty much um, made available in the and discussed and analyzed also in the public uh, sphere. And we see uh, very, uh, let's say, um, similar patterns uh, of some of the uh, malware uh, and uh, patterns of, uh, of attack. Okay, so you're talking about, about the, the Russian mechanisms that we've seen named in the DNC attacks. Um, I think it's important to know that NATO does not do um, attribution. We have good analytical skills, including forensics, to go into the technical aspects like sources, including IP addresses and so on. To have uh, final attribution, for this we rely on uh, uh, the intelligence of, uh, of nations uh, and uh, because NATO doesn't have intelligence assets and uh, you know, high-level attribution is by blending uh, the data uh, analysis with human uh, intelligence that link to to the source. So that's why we don't discuss it because the source of the intelligence is is nations, and some nations uh, actually um, go so far in having uh, public attributions, uh, other not. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, as I said, uh, in increasing uh, information and intelligence uh, exchange on this at the NATO level through. Points of, points of contact between NATO headquarters and entities in each allied country and through the intelligence production, which is nowadays handled by our new intelligence unit that was just created. But let me see if I understand this. You break down the data and then you hand it back to governments, and they're the ones who analyze where it came from. I mean, no, no, no. no. We I'm, we, I'm we have analysts, and governments have analysts, and uh, they are very much in touch. Uh, just to give you an example, we have a high-level um, uh, experts workshop in April coming up. It's a yearly event where our high-level analysts, with those from nation states, from some partner countries, even from some industry, get together, and we actually compare what we see. The patterns of attack. It's not that uh, uh, we need to, to, to send the brute uh, or the, the raw data to another place. We, we have uh, the resources, uh, so we have about 200 experts that deal with uh, this uh, on a daily basis uh, across the NATO enterprise and a handful of analysts uh, here at headquarters that uh, um, really look into the patterns of attacks. Well, let's talk about then the, just these last uh, couple of attacks that, that we've seen that have been um, pretty dramatic, including including one just in the last few days. Um, and again, this will meld the, the different um, challenges that NATO has, the disinformation um, uh, with the cyber, cyber sort of spread and the social media 
um, campaigns, and that was the attack on on the German troops in in Lithuania. And this was seen at le- by the Germans as as a way to destabilize them as they're taking over the head of the new battle group. And and you mentioned the Nifus that are that are in the eastern countries. So is this the kind of attacks, the kind of destabilization tactics that are being used? Again, not just cyber, but social media is included in these in the in the the sort of distribution um, methods. Um, what can you tell me about this attack on the Germans? You're referring about the fake news. The fake uh, news, the fake the, rape, the, the, the fake so, rape story. Yeah, the fake rape, alleged we, rape yeah. and so on. Um, well, uh, this is a, a clear example of um, information manipulation uh, uh, with a sense of uh, weaponization because it really is, was supposed to uh, affect uh, the, the uh, perception about the uh, presence of uh, Germany troops as framework nations in in, in uh, Lithuania. It was supposed to affect morale. It was supposed to to, to affect everything, the, the operational uh, functioning. So that's why I'm saying that information manipulation could have uh, uh, operational effects, and it, exactly. it, it, it can be weaponized. Um, from um, I have to mention that um, in in NATO, it's the the um, press office and uh, the public diplomacy division. Uh, they are in the lead on on this aspect of fake news, information manipulation. But um, myself. My, my own division, along with, uh, for example, the Center of Excellence in Riga uh, on strategic communications, are very much linked to this work. We have a, um, a Stratcom strategic communications policy board in, in this house, and then we, whenever it's necessary, we can create a tiger team or task forces to address the specific uh, issue or item to have uh, uh, quick and clear, uh, and, and clear responses. Um, I would say that the, the, the strategy in NATO is not to respond to propaganda with another propaganda. It's to respond to, with the power of truth, with the power of uh, facts, of uh, accurate, vetted uh, facts and, and, and data. And uh, to do it uh, through a very quick communication. I was going to say, because so, the bad stories go viral very quickly. Uh, to... Uh, and um, creating a network of trusted uh, uh, sources uh, where, whereby we can vet information. Uh, and this is not just uh, having counterparts in uh, NATO, uh, in every uh, NATO nations. I mean, points of contact that could really uh, come with national feedbacks on this, but also with uh, NGOs, uh, with the press um, uh, itself. Uh, this is why I would say this last story uh, was... Uh, Dismantled quite uh, uh, quite quickly. Um, we can also uh, help in my division because we we manage the science for peace and security program, and uh, uh, there is now an int- a number of, of requests uh, for for projects uh, to actually study more in depth this uh, aspect of. Uh, fake news, data manipulation, why it uh, gets uh, uh, traction at least for a while. It seems that, uh, um, you know, emotions are uh, sometimes uh, uh, more powerful than uh, than dry facts, so we need to have sure. this into consideration. But at the end of the day, it, it, there are aspects of uh, educating ourselves, of lessons learned, of uh, being uh, quicker uh, at the next uh, um, event. And I think at a certain point, uh, there will be uh, people are smart. They see the the fake pattern, and uh, sometimes um, uh, if they're educated to ask questions about the source, where it comes from, why, how to check it, 
who are the trusted, uh, let's say, sources of, of, of information. Uh, and if, if this is handled um, uh, fastly and accurately, um, uh, we can create a emotion the other way around. I mean, when people say, well, this is coming again, because there was another story about a fake uh, rape in and, Germany, if you remember. Yep, the Lisa case. And, and it took more time. This time, I think there were many who said, oh, now we go again, and it was easier to, to, to respond. So uh, we are in the world, we have to be dynamic. It's uh, uh, what we, we would say in NATO is the constant adaptation. It's learning uh, every other um, uh, day. Uh, and uh, it's the only way that uh, we, we, we continue to be relevant because of this constant and continuous adaptation. But I, I actually just visited the Stratcom Center in Riga and um, and did some interviews there about, about this kind of thing. And w- one of the Latvian uh, Defense Ministry, Ministry officials told me that what they worry about is is that it doesn't require that that story is correct. It doesn't even require that people believe it. All it has to do is sow doubt in officials, you know, or in the German forces or in the NATO, in in NATO's, you know, solidarity. All it has to do is sow doubt to be an effective operational weapon. And he said, you know, and and if you sow enough doubt, it doesn't matter if troops come across the border. We've already lost. Is that a big weight on your shoulders? Absolutely. Um, And again, um, the the, the press office and my colleagues from PDD have done an an great job uh, in actually um, responding uh, to these doubts, creating uh, the so-called uh, uh, fake uh, news or mythbusters, uh, because uh, there, there was a kind of pattern of, uh, uh, you know, repetitive um, allegations about uh, NATO that had nothing to do with reality and so on. So uh, we need to come back with a repetition of the accurate uh, aspects. Uh, this is also what uh, the science, which is an evolving science, by the way, the science True. of this aspect. So re- repeat repetition, repetition, repetition through everything, through so social media, through statements, through um, uh, websites, uh, through the engagement with uh, those who um, are, um, uh, I think, our, our, our best partners. It's the media, the responsible um, uh, journalists that, that they make a difference. Well, that's nice to and, hear that uh, after we're being the, called enemies of the people in the, other places. Uh, <laughs> I want to make another uh, point, um, uh, which you'll also hear a lot uh, in uh, Secretary General's uh, approaches and, and statements uh, um, he is um, uh, somebody who who likes uh, clarity of facts, of figures, of data. He looks uh, for data. Uh, he uh, always encourages us towards uh, uh, an evidence-based uh, analysis and then uh, decision making, and of course public communication. So I think this is this is a part of again adapting. Uh, and modernizing, uh, and um, uh, the the public communication part is in the forefront part of, of everything that we're we're doing, and of course uh, this capacity to um, be aware of the of the new threats. And I didn't mention you the new technologies, you know, Internet of Things, which is at the horizon. The the number of uh, connections, uh, um, uh, internet connection will quadruple in the next uh, three years and a half. We are today as about... Around uh, the world, is that so? Absolutely. So uh, you can imagine how fast. And there is another aspect because the the internet of things make a link between the virtual world, the data world, 
with the physical world. So you can imagine that they can generate more physical effects. And sometimes it could be explosions in boilers or in uh, fuel tanks uh, whenever at gas stations or airports. And we need to, to take this very serious, the impact of artificial intelligence, uh, uh, 3D uh, printing, uh, the, the various types of uh, unmanned vehicles, not just uh, aerial, but also uh, sea, undersea, uh, ground. So uh, we need to, to really study what um, uh, what is to come so that we get better uh, be prepared uh, from, um, from today. And uh, uh, as, as, as also I mentioned, the, these various uh, uh, aspects of uh, the fight against uh, um, uh, terrorism, I think uh, NATO has an operational role by being in support of the counter-ISIL uh, coalition with uh, AWACSs, um, uh, but it has a unique um, toolbox of skills in uh, supporting um, uh, training uh, were needed, like in counter-improvised explosive uh, devices. We already uh, trained um, uh, um, a number of uh, officers uh, uh, in uh, uh, Iraq. Uh, for example, they are key to uh, really clear all those booby traps uh, that are left behind by the terrorists, uh, also in the you know fight of Mosul. If, if You're talking about is, the new program that just started in January inside Iraq. This, the, but there's also an old program that started for Jordan. Iraqi yeah. uh, uh, officers in Jordan. Mm -hmm. So the new program is in Iraq. It will continue. But it's essential. Without this, uh, people cannot come back to their homes. And um, I was just we were just told by um, Brett McGurk, the special representative of the U.S. president, on on. Uh, counter-ISIL, that one of the main achievements was the fact that so far one and a half million Iraqis could come back home after the operations, counter-ISIL operations in Mosul, and also uh, after this train, the trainers uh, program had an effect in clearing those houses and reducing the numbers of people who got killed or got injured by those millions of booby traps uh, left uh, behind. So this is just one um, one example. We can speak also about counter-terrorism training uh, at, uh, in general, uh, aspects like uh, um, training uh, for, for operational um, objectives or for aspects like uh, military medicine and so on. So NATO already has, um, has a... Uh, good toolbox of expertise, good experience, um, and we are um, uh, in the process of uh, scaling this uh, up uh, while also mentioning that uh, every ally uh, has a contribution in the counter-ISIL um, coalition in different uh, forms. So We could do an hour on every one of those. Um, I wanted to come back, and we will. I will make you come back and talk again. But um, one of the things that, because of the defense ministerial um, that, that just happened, where they, they upgraded the cyber defense plan, I, de I definitely wanted to get that in before we, uh, before we get, get too late here. And that was that... Um, since since last July, we've had um, cyber officially elevated as as a, an operational domain for warfare, potential warfare. It hasn't happened yet that anybody's um, threatened to call an Article 5. But, but there was work done at this last defense ministerial, and there was at least some new steps taken, weren't there? I mean, uh, update me on, on what was done at this meeting to move forward along our understanding of what would constitute an attack on all in the cyber realm. Um, 
I should mention that the, the, the link between cyber defense and uh, collective defense, which is the Alliance Reason being, has been already made at the Will Summit in 2014. So it was then uh, that we had the declaration and the fact that uh, uh, cyber attacks can uh, reach a level where can, they can be as harmful as uh, conventional uh, attacks right. and uh, they could trigger um, Article uh, 5. And we made clear that this will be a political decision on a case-by-case basis and uh, any response uh, could not just be with the cyber means. It could be with, uh, you know, diplomatical, political means, or even uh, with um, uh, military means, uh, if the situation is uh, is as such. So that but was. President uh, Obama definitely put a finer point on that in in Warsaw. Absolutely. He said that in his in his speech. So that was uh, that was um, uh, actually highlighted in in Warsaw, but what uh, Warsaw um, uh, brought uh, as um, let's say. New decisions were there were two aspects. One was the so-called cyber defense pledge, a high-level pledge by heads of state and government to um, enhance and strengthen um, cyber defenses at home as a matter of priority. Uh, because uh, cyber defense at home is a national responsibility. Of course, NATO uh, is establishing some benchmarks with the NATO defense planning process. We have information exchange. Uh, we can uh, assist and support allies upon request on a case-by-case basis. Uh, we have a whole network of, of partnership with international organization, with partner nations, but the main responsibility is national. So it's logical that uh, you want to uh, elevate the minimum uh, standards, sure. and this is why it was... Uh, brought at the highest level of government to generate this kind of attention. Very much like in business, I hear that now cyber security is, is at the level of a, of a CEO. Now we brought it at the level of uh, heads of state and government. That was the kind of also lessons learned from, if you want, also from, from industry, but also a, a strong conscience. The other aspect from Warsaw was the decision to recognize cyberspace as a domain of operations. We're not speaking about warfare. And I think it's important to to, to, to be clear on terms. So we're, I was we're, wrong on that. <laughs> we're, not, we're not speaking warfare. By the way, if you look to the strategic concept of 2010, uh, you, you won't see the war, warfare. We, NATO is... is uh, um, what was it was at its best over its almost seven decades of history was preventing major uh, conflict. Or, okay, so uh, we call it cyber pen. conflict prevention. Uh, it's uh, no, it's it's declaring cyber as an operational domain. Why? Um, because uh, first, because of the threat um, uh, landscape. Um, it it will change because we we see that we will need to live and even operate in a heavily degraded cyber environment. Uh, where um, the former assumption uh, and the former approach, which was uh, uh, seeing cyber as a kind of enabler, something for the technicians, they should make sure that our systems uh, would work, and then a military planner were planning the operations on the assumption that uh, information is assured, the information assurance assumption. Uh, I think in this environment, uh, the assumption uh, is different, that uh, we we will we will be in situations where systems will be de- degraded. We will need to think about uh, having uh, backups uh, of uh, um, operating uh, not at the let's say um, highest granularity of um, of information, which changed the whole um, approach uh, in planning, in education, training, in uh, in exercises. The other aspect uh, is the need to streamline cyber throughout the other three domains. Uh, air, mm-hmm. land, and sea, because uh, uh, each uh, of the capabilities in these domains has a cyber dimension. We were, li- we're, we're uh, working with uh, high-tech uh, items that rely on GPSs, on electronics, on interconnectivity. So in, you need this, uh, this kind of uh, streamlining. 
uh, to strengthen the overall cyber defenses in all domains, but also to potentially achieve uh, joint operational uh, effects across uh, the, these now four domains in, in NATO. And uh, there are aspects related to, because you asked me about the, the priorities, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's about enhancing situational awareness to increase information and intelligent uh, um, uh, sharing in, in view of this uh, evolving landscape. It's about uh, strengthening capability and interoperability, including for those networks that are deployed in operations. Because um, up until now, usually it was a, a, a one country like in Afghanistan, initially the U.S., who provided the IT framework, the cyber framework, and the other uh, just uh, were, were using it. Right now we're looking forward to have um, uh, networks that are interoperable from each nation once they're deployed in a, uh, in a theater. There should be a plug-and-play functionality and cyber uh, defenses. It's about upgrading the planning, the training, the exercises, and uh, also uh, about further developing the, the partnerships with partner nations and international uh, organizations, including with press, with uh, academia, because this is about also understanding the kind of uh, world we're, we're living in. And uh, um, also because we want to be linked with the other work that is done uh, in connection with cyber. For example, like the development of... Uh, voluntary uh, norms of responsible state yeah. behavior. NATO policy of, uh, of 2014 has recognized that international law applies in cyberspace and that NATO would adhere to international uh, uh, law. So we're uh, interested to, to see all the new studies about the applicability of the international law and the, the new uh, norms, of, uh, which are so far voluntary uh, norms, but of responsible state uh, behavior for this uh, very uh, main uh, argument, uh, and this is the fact that we would rather be in this uh, in a prevention uh, uh, role rather than uh, in the situation of uh, being able to cope with major attacks or really respond to such attacks. Uh, okay, I don't want to belabor this point, but since it's it's been all we're talking about lately, when when you're looking at defense investment. Um, if you're going to have a system like you were talking about putting in place where each nation brings its own capabilities, right now you've got such a huge disparity between investment and capabilities and security of national systems. Um, where, How far are you from being um, at a place where everybody could actually plug and play? I mean, and, and the 2% um, of defense, defense investment is, is not talking about going into cyber, is it? Or would that be included in Absolutely. It cyber is included in, in that. Okay, so that's good. So and, when they're bringing up their levels, they need to bring up their cyber levels. Absolutely. And on, on top of it, we came with the cyber uh, pledge to raise special attention. And one of the seven key priorities in the cyber pledge are uh, the assuring of the adequate investment. It was hard to put a one figure but it's the adequate invent is investment to reach the minimum uh, standards for cyber defenses. So uh, that's also uh, included in the in the cyber defense pledge. And uh, of course, cyber is is on top uh, of everyone's mind when it comes to defense investment. And so, are you seeing as you see people people pay more attention to their own two percent pledge? Are you seeing a, a conscious? Um, prioritizing of cybersecurity. I mean, it's not just the infrastructure. It's also protecting that infrastructure. You can't do one or the other. Yes, I, I do see this. Uh, and it's because of what efforts we are doing, but also because of the trend landscape. But I also see that we need to do more than faster. I, I mean, let's let's make no, no mistake. I mean, complex, complacency in this field uh, uh, does not make sense at all. And uh, 
um, we, we, we always striving to be ahead of the curve, but the threat landscape um, evolves uh, extremely fast, so there's never enough. Let me be very honest. <laughs> I'm sure. And this is sort of takes into account everything that we're looking at at challenges here at NATO. Um, and, and we can't get away from the, 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 the fact that, that that it's Russia behind so many of these attacks in the U.S. on the on the electoral uh, campaign that the, the European NATO allies are expecting those same attacks to come on their electoral campaigns. Um, and that that this is what we saw in Crimea, and this is what we see in Eastern Ukraine. We see such such a, a, an investment of the Russian government in these kind of um, offensive tactics. Is there, without any govern any single NATO government being willing or able to put the same kind of effort back at Russia? Can you, will you be able to, as twenty eight, um, pull together and 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 fend off? Um, the the Kremlin's um, extreme targeting um, in in the cyber realm. Um, as I said, I'm I'm not going to refer to to, to specific uh, sources of uh, of attack uh, uh, because, in all honesty, um, there are of um, uh, a variety of attack uh, vectors against. Um, uh, but the fact NATO. sheets on myths are all against Russian. Disinformation. And, and we are definitely following uh, and uh, we receive briefings, national briefings on uh, on what happens in each country. Uh, so not just those briefings that are published in the, in the press, mm-hmm. uh, like the, the DNC hack who has been, uh, I would say, uh, largely uh, reflected so that it's well understood by the public, but there are also others. We, we receive these uh, uh, briefings with, with different levels of classification, as I mentioned, including in uh, high, highly classified intelligence uh, report. Um, I think that uh, these are compelling um, um, argument uh, both for uh, a sense of um, urgency and priority for each single nation to do its utmost in terms of investment in getting better organized, but also in terms of collaborating uh, closer. I always say none of us alone can be better informed smarter or better protected than all of us uh, together. Uh, this is the whole, um, uh, the, the, the key, uh, the essence of uh, collective defense um, uh, alliance. The more um, resilient uh, we are um, at home and also at the level of the alliance, uh, the less vulnerable um, uh, we are, uh, the better um, uh, analytical uh, tools and expertise we have, we can understand better uh, what happens and fr- from whom and who is is providing such a, uh, such attack. And also, uh, the better um, we take measures as a collective uh, defense uh, um, alliance to be able to defend and uh, deter, because according to um, uh, also the, the statement of uh, our Prague summit. Uh, cyber now is also part of NATO's uh, uh, deterrence and uh, actually is, is contributing to, to NATO's deterrence and um, uh, defense. Um, uh, all these, uh, these aspects uh, uh, makes us better prepared to cope with this uh, complex uh, landscape. But again, um, it's... Um, a never-ending uh, story, and it's uh, a dynamic uh, uh, domain. Uh, that's why we actually upgrade our action plans uh, regularly. We have this at this last ministerial an upgrade uh, for the probably next year and a half or uh, maximum two. 
we will have uh, upgra upgrades in terms of uh, doctrine, um, uh, in terms of uh, um, process, procedures, definitely in terms of uh, curricula for training and education, and definitely in terms of um, our exercise scenarios uh, that are reflecting much more, they're much more realistic and reflecting what we actually see happening uh, uh, every day. What's the biggest change? In, in the doctrine? I mean, what's the biggest change that when you have to do an upgrade? Or is it, is it just sort of evolutionary so there's no huge jump anywhere? Every lesson learned is fitted in uh, to um, the curricula for the training education. It's fitted in to the scenarios of the next uh, exercises. It, it generates a report that would um, uh, impact uh, processes, uh, maybe requirements for capabilities. So from this point of view, the, the kind of... Uh, um, I would say good old uh, NATO patterns of lessons learned generating the way forward um, is uh, something uh, which is the strength of this organization. Will we see a war declared in cyberspace? I hope not. I hope not. And uh, it's, it's for this reason that um, uh, NATO is um, uh, supporting um, the, the, the world, uh, the, the work at the international community for more uh, stability in, in cyberspace uh, through norms, through dialogue. Uh, and uh, I would say the fact that uh, in the 2014 policy, NATO recognized the applicability of international law and actually expressed the support for development of uh, uh, voluntary norms of uh, responsible state behavior and confidence-building measures. Uh, we are part of this uh, international, um, uh, let's say, um, group uh, that uh, is debating at conferences in different processes, the famous London uh, pro process uh, initiatives from, from industry or from, um, uh, uh, I would say, uh, non-governmental organizations uh, that are trying to, to stimulate these aspects. And even uh, us, through the Science for Peace and Security program, have supported uh, projects uh, with NGOs that were coming with fresh ideas of developing confidence-building measures. We hope uh, to prevent uh, major confrontation of war. This is uh, uh, this is our main um, focus, and uh, I think this uh, was um, NATO's great achievement uh, so far: being ready to act in the spirit of collective defense in any circumstances, but actually. Uh, not uh, being necessary to to do it because um, both the collaborative and cooperative security uh, dimension, the mandate combined with its uh, uh, preparations and readiness um, have so far uh, prevented major conflict at war. We hope to prevent it in the future as well. And that, of course, sounds like a good closing line. Thank you very much, Ambassador DiCaro. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. And that's it for this week. Thanks so much to NATO Assistant Secretary General for Emerging Security Challenges, Soren Dukaru, for being with me. Thanks to the Atlantic Council for sponsoring Channeling Brussels. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Terry Schultz. Join me next time.